Why'd you come looking for me? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I needed to know. Needed to know. Yeah, okay. But when you called my house, you talked to my wife. Why'd you do that? She happened to pick up the phone. Okay, yeah, but. <laughs> Can I ask you something, just man to man? Did you sleep with my wife? I don't know what you're talking about. Just answer the question, man. Just answer my question and then I will leave. You're crazy. this man so I'm gonna bring your girlfriend into the picture as well you want me out of your life this is what's gonna happen first you can give me your clothes in your car I'm gonna take your girlfriend on a little romantic getaway I'm gonna bring her back home tomorrow and then I'm gonna come back here and I'm gonna bring back all your stuff and I'm going to disappear from your life forever then we will be even scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but he, he yelled at me about not getting the organic blueberries, and then he stormed off. I'm sure he'll be back. You know, it's just blueberries. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just didn't read the grocery list correctly, buddy. In the meantime, Allow me to welcome you listeners back to the Fear of God podcast and to an all new series, which will carry us more or less through the end of the year. It's an otherwise unconnected collection of films, part of a series we're calling Foggle Wieners. Why? Well, this year we launched our Patreon and members at a certain level of the Patreon recently got to attend our second annual Foggoween live Zoom event. We had guest stars, international drop-ins, prizes, and a whole lot of laughs. It was a grand old time. And at Fogoween, everyone in attendance got to submit a film that we hadn't covered yet that they wanted to hear us talk about. And so was born the Fogoweener. Last week, we locked ourselves in the car with the Quarterly Kings and Stephen King's canine gone crazy pop culture landmark Cujo 
That was a mouthful. For this week's first Vaga Wiener, we are spinning a web of conversation centering on Denis Villeneuve's arachnid nightmare doppelganger brain scratcher enemy. Thanks for that submission, I believe, Andrew Nelson. But before we examine each other's scar placements, permit me to remind you listeners that here at The Fear of God we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things like how to support us on Patreon so you too can submit a Fogoweener perhaps next year, or at the minimum join Fogoween, as well as things like essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise, read! Hello! Hey, brother! And welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we examine what scares us in order to find what saves us. Typically with me is my co-host, Nathan Rouse, but uh, he's off uh, some some extravagant basement thing that he said he had to get to. I'm not entirely sure exactly uh, what it hmm. what it was all about, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure he'll be back soon. Uh, so, but uh, you know, while uh, while we're waiting for him to return back, let me remind you that the Fear of God is your one stop shop for all things Fear of God. Uh, you can find essays, articles, team bios, how to support us on Patreon. You can find uh, all kinds of wonderful things, and then you can find Nathan. Nathan, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, hello, pal, friend. <laughs> Of friends, you know, uh, <laughs> listeners, welcome back to your favorite <laughs> podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is, in fact, an incredibly special Fear of God podcast. Pick me right now. It's one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co host Reed Lackey. But something else i didn't you know I, this movie is just too jacked up i don't want to oh, venture okay. too far into what the shenanigans of my co-host might be right now reed that was <laughs> listeners just in case it's unclear didn't know reed was going to do that so i just decided i'd return the favor <laughs> i just figured you know this Clever. is a film all Clever. about dualities and doubling up and uh you know opposites and similarities so it's just like oh yeah there, there we go so uh yeah and you did it I was away when you mentioned it, but uh, you did get it right. We want to say before we get into it, a uh, very special thank you to Fogaweener Andrew Nelson, who uh, <laughs> submitted <laughs> Enemy by Denis Villeneuve uh, for us to cover. So uh, thank you, Andrew. We'd been This film had been uh, percolating in the ether for, for quite some time. You could say it had been crawling or yeah. skittering. I mean, you could say that, but I don't want to, you know. Like it's oh, just, well, yeah. okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so man. So we're going to be talking about enemy today. Before we do that, uh, at least some mild business here. One sure. is we did just have Fogaween, uh, though that may seem mm -hmm. an odd note to, to lump on the business pile here. Um, the value of talking about it here is join Patreon. We had a grand old time, oh, a little so murder fun. mystery last year. We did a big trivia uh, parade, as it were. Um, there was, you know, just just lots of fun, tomfoolery, uh, some guest stars dropping in delivering prizes it was a great great time it was fun uh, something you might not want to miss next year um but how to do that is to join patreon and for this particular event it was at the ten dollar level so Indeed. join patreon come to fogoween and various other events like it in the coming days months weeks and year uh second to that read nathan you know we we inadvertently 
uh, uh, at least in the moment, overlooked back in August, our sixth anniversary. Oh, we did. Well, Goodness. Gave it some lip you, service, but that was about yeah, it. Yeah, we did a little bit after the fact. Um, yeah. We're not going to miss this upcoming mm. landmark, though. Uh, because if you do the rough math of 52 weeks, of which, you know, we lop a month off, so you're looking at about 48 weeks, give or take yep. a grab bag mm-hmm. of miscellaneous other episodes here and there, that comes to, by math, uh, you know, about... 300 weeks. Oh my gosh. And uh, what that means is on the almost rather close horizon is our 300th episode. How do you feel about that, Reed? This is Feel of God! (laughs) You know, I guess you came ready tonight and I'm here for it, you know? (laughs) No, it's just, it was very spontaneous and it was a terrible impression. But, uh, but, you know, I'm, I, no, I, I thought. I thought I was just staring at Gerard Butler right there. <laughs> that, that, makes me, that makes me yeah. happy. Gerard Butler's a, a handsome man. Um, I'm a little stunned, to be honest, that we're here at 300. I mean, I hoped, sincerely, I hoped uh, way back when we began this that we would be able to at least get a few good years, that we would be able to at least get, you know, 100, maybe 150 episodes uh, to be actively approaching double that with a, a very consistent, very generous and and i'll even dare i say loving community behind us and and still more fun adventures on the horizon it's uh, it's overwhelming and and i'm i'm incredibly grateful for it i love it it's just fantastic yeah i mean it's i feel like we should queue up the shania twain a little bit because it looks (laughs) like we made it um but uh, (laughs) we we're gonna have a special episode for 300 we're gonna we're gonna hold on to it for an extra minute or two but okay uh it is not lost on us that 300 is afoot. Steve Beckley may come at us when the time comes and be like, guys, technically, uh, this would have been 301 or 299. Mm-hmm. Beckley, just roll with it, buddy. Um, um, <laughs> 300 standard episodes. That's, that's okay. how we'll do it. 300 standard episodes. I was going by lackey episodes. math, so I was letting yeah. you lead the charge on when it was coming. But nonetheless, <laughs> 300th episode is in the very close future, and it, we're excited um, about that. Yes. Just just further defining it, if things go according to plan, our 300th episode will close 2022. 20, That's the final, perfect. Yeah, the final episode of the year will be our 300th episode. But if, who knows? Maybe the final episode of the podcast. I mean, I hope, there's some, yeah. I hope not. I hope not, too. It's been, but, if, but if it is, it's been fun, Reed. <laughs> it is. <laughs> been a good um, Okay. So, Reed, it's been a minute since we've done some watches mm. and in fact it's been quite a minute yeah uh, like i can't actually recall i don't weeks. even really understand this segment anymore but <laughs> speaking of watches and speaking of segments it is time once more to go to the patron moby And now, about this batch movie. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay, so. Lord. We're mercy. doing it, Reed. This Don't take movie. Don't drink when Nathan's about to cuss. Yeah. Um, you'd never be drinking then. Uh, this, it feels like it on some days. Um, man, we've been talking about this movie for a long time. We really have. It's kind of lurked it, yeah. in the periphery. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Always what a I, consideration. Yeah. What I'd like is a bit more direct than we might normally have done this. Let's do just kind of first viewing, second viewing, brief reaction, then just jump into that ain't right, get the didactics okay. out of the way, and then just just dive in, crawl into yep. our web. Um, I'm, I'm so I'm down. I'll, I'm, yep. I'll I'll start. Like I, I don't even remember what maybe maybe it was on a Jake run. You know, I just really have enjoyed the work of Jake Gyllenhaal for a long time. I, you know, don't ask me if I saw Prince of Persia. I did not. But um, so I'm, I'm just trying to recollect why I would have watched this uh, before. So this this was my second viewing. But I remember watching it and just being very intrigued, uh, mm. having no clue kind of what to make of it exactly. Sure. And not even because of its content because that would be a little weird. Uh, but it's just my kind of movie. It's just my kind of like, sure. Hey, here's just kind of some ideas and some couple really good actors just sort of cooking one. We're just going to put a mirror and you get two of them. And <laughs> by the end of it, it's going to have a just friggin' just gnarly, crazy. What WTF finale. And then I'm like, Oh, more please you know like I, I don't even i don't even get it but you know so i do feel the need to preface andrew nelson who submitted this as his fog of wiener to to be disappointed that the likelihood exists we will not totally crack the code on the film enemy um yeah absolutely but nonetheless it's a worthy submission uh humorously for this second viewing <laughs> for this second viewing um, I had forgotten the opening scene, uh, oh, which is okay. quite racy. Um, mm -hmm. not to mention, you know, seven minutes later when it's just like, dude, these people just, <laughs> they having fun. I, I, th I think maybe, um, <laughs> it does not look fun to it's me. Hard, it's hard <laughs> to tell, but this opening scene is just a lot real quick. Mm -hmm. And why I laugh is it was that. Cause, cause next week, just uh, spoiler alert next week, we're covering monster squad, the monster squad from 1987. And yes. so the other night I needed to watch both of these. I was thrilled that they were both like at the hour and a half or less mark uh, oh, for both yeah. of them. And I was like, Hey, do you want to, to my wife I was like, do you want to watch a Jake Gyllenhaal creepy movie? And she's like, well, not really, but I'll sit in there with you while you watch. <laughs> And I texted you. That first yes. scene came on. I backed out. I was like, oh, oh, hey, nope, nope just nope, forgot nope, about maybe. this. But <clears throat> hilarious story. Here, ship. Reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hilarious story is then, like, it was, I was just a tangle of emotions. Cause so I was like, well, now it's going to really read if I just pivot to Monster Squad and she's going to look up from the phone and be like, well, where's Jake Dylan? The, the Jake movie. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to say? Like, well, actually, you know, you're here. <laughs> Forgot about the weird, wow. you know, sort of maybe, you know, voyeuristic masturbatory spider scene in the beginning of this movie. And so I <laughs> didn't want you here, you know, <laughs> but it looks weird to ask her to leave. You know? Yeah. It's oh, sure, all sorts sure. of whatever. So anyway. it's like, actually, can you not be here? That would be great. Right, right. <laughs> like, I know I just invited you in. Now I'm asking yep. you to leave. 
<laughs> I'm um, inviting you out. <laughs> yes, I'm just I'm rescinding my invitation. Um, nonetheless, oh uh, uh, did did finish it, um, and uh, I I will say this: mm. I have been thinking a lot about enemy in the last mm-hmm. two or three days. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know that there's a whole lot of you know final thoughts, but I've been thinking a lot about it. That said, it is your turn, sure. my friend. My my. Sure. Pseudo doppelganger uh, out in the world. <laughs> um, I saw this film largely because of you. Um, oh, because, well, yeah. I always because, love when a sort of story starts that way. Well, here was the pitch you gave to me. So I, I knew the film had come out. I have always been a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. I think it is fair to say my affection for him, though, you know, it doesn't mean I don't like him. My affection is not as as rabid as yours for his work. Sure. Like he's on my radar, so when something comes out, I'm like, oh, I like Jake Gyllenhaal, but I don't prioritize viewing for some of his stuff. Um, I'm just like, oh, when I get to it, I get to it. Whatever it was that was the impetus of you seeing this movie, what I distinctly remember made me watch it the first time was you said, without spoiling what it was, you were like, you will never believe this final scene. Like you have mm. got to see this movie because you will never believe this final scene. Like, I, I have to talk to somebody about this final scene. Reed, you're my best friend. Like, you've got to see this movie, because you will never... And I'm like, what in the world is this final scene? Like, what is this? And so I, I know, still I know the runtime. <laughs> no. I know the runtime. I'm like, man, okay, so what What in the world is about to happen? And sure, and sure, so I, wa- you know, I watched it, and, and I'm sitting here, I'm just watching it like, what in, what in the world? And the whole time, the whole time I was watching the movie the first time through, I was like, man, we're building this some big twist ending final scene you know and and so sure enough like the very first time i watched it your you know it's almost as if this did not happen in the real but it's almost as if your spectral visage was like looking over my shoulder waiting to see what my reaction was that's the way i sure. felt because i was like that, man you know that, like, ha- gotta, that was real that was that was actually oh, man just, you know this explains a lot um but uh they basically like i when it got to that final scene where like she walks out of the bathroom, mm-hmm. she walks into the other room and he's looking at the key and I'm like, oh man, don't do it. And I'm just, I'm just with him in that moment. I'm like, no, don't do this. Like, come on, you've got, you know, kind of, kind of moving on to something else, like whatever. And then when she doesn't answer, I'm like, oh crap, is she going to be dead? Is she going to be dead? What, what is it going to be? He's going to, he's going to walk in there and it's going to be some of and then, like, he turns the corner. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, listeners can't see my face, but I was just like, this. What? And I like I I Cut can't even remember what I te- yeah I can't even remember what I texted you, but I was like, <laughs> I there's no way, there's no world in which I would have predicted that. Like, there's no there's no world in which I would have said like, oh, I, I guess that coming. Like any listener who's like, oh yeah, I knew that was gonna happen. You are a liar. Like, there's yeah. no way, <laughs> there's no way that you could see that ending coming. And the film did sort of dig its way into my imagination. I even wrote a piece about it for more than one lesson. I can't remember how close it was to the time of its release because I think it might have been maybe a year or so after it came out that I that I saw it. But you know, it it did. It sort of it sort of rested in my imagination. Oddly enough, this was only my second time seeing it for this episode. Um and you know, the, uneventful in my second viewing, I too have just a myriad of different thoughts. Um I was less viscerally affected by it this time around. I think the shock of the first time you see that ending is enough to put a real button on 
this film entrenching itself in your imagination. I think this film is endlessly fascinating. So to kind of tie a bow on my thoughts, and then maybe we can get into some didactic stuff, I really appreciated the film. Um, enjoyed is a weird word to say sure. for a film like this, yeah, but, I, yeah. but, I, but I really appreciated the film. I was glad to be watching it again. My emotional response to most of what I was seeing was very different, and I would even say very muted from the first time that I saw it, because that first time you experience that ending, if it has not been spoiled for you, possibly even if it has been spoiled for you, um, the first time you see that ending, it is it is pretty indelible. It's it's very hard yeah. to shake. Yeah. Um. And uh. And 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 I did not have that experience this time around because you know I I knew what was coming. Um. Well, so yeah, your, that was that to was your my, point. Yeah. I actually do think I think we're on the same page there because I think like I will never not be someone who of this movie would say like depend again depending on who you're talking to of course but be like yeah this is worth your checking out. Like, mm, you know, mm-hmm. you to, to film fans to horror fans. Like, yeah, check this it's one fascinating. out. That yeah. said, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to verbalize how I heard what you're saying. And my experience is like, it is much more in a subsequent viewing and intellectual exercise. You're just like, Oh, I agree. Let yeah. me mm-hmm. think this out. Like what, what am I thinking is happening? What, mm-hmm. you know? It, so, so yeah, I mean, that first viewing is very, you're just, it's just kind of washing over you until the, until you're disgusted at the end, uh, yeah. for this subsequent viewing. It was, it was much more trying to, trying to, trying to see the pieces of the puzzle, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. anyway, mm-hmm. um, we'll get into some of those, uh, what those puzzle pieces are, but before we do that, it's time for the part of the show where we talk about the things and the film that which of which it's time for the part of the movie and the episode of this conversation where things that write aren't um <laughs> I'm just well <laughs> it's time for the part of the show where we talk about things that aren't just wrong but of which might be said that ain't right Sure as hell ain't right. Are nice. that right and jingle appropriately uh, written and intoned by the submitter of this Foggle Wiener? Um, Thank you again, Andrew. Come on, man. <laughs> you go first. You go first. You go ahead. So you crack the code. We'll, we'll just sort of we'll just sort of like both own that ending, and we can maybe maybe that'll be the final. That ain't right. We'll sure. unpack a little bit, but no, that feels fair. Um. Hmm. I think the there's a number of just OMG kind of that ain't right. The whole movie is kind of a that ain't right. It, the, the sort of unsettling conceptually about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think if I were to, yeah, I think if I were to pinpoint a one that isn't the final button, it is the image of the upside down naked lady with the spider head. I, I, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I got, I got, I can't, I can't at all with that. It's that is jacked up. 
Like <laughs> I've never seen any. I don't know if I've ever seen anything so jacked up in any movie. Like I was jacked up. I was just like, is she wearing a mask? Is she wearing a? Oh no, no, my oh, god! Oh, she's got a she's got, Because it's also like you're not used to seeing a spider's mm. face apart from a spider's body. So uh-huh. it was also a little bit just like, what? It, what is that? Oh my god! What is that? And. <laughs> And she's upside down. Moments like this always she, make me think of the Wayne's World quote where Garth is describing his uh, titillated experience of a thing. And he says, it, <laughs> it makes me feel kind of funny. Like when we used to climb the rope in gym class. Like there are so many warring internal <laughs> energies happening in that moment. You're oh, like, my God. Oh, oh, okay. I'm trying not to be, you know, it's just a movie. It's just, I'm not titillating oh, whatsoever. Oh, oh, oh. You know, just culture has trained me to be uh, uh, attracted to the female body. And that's a female body. Oh, my, oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> it is like, it is like beauty and, and horror smashed together. Just, and you are utterly like, bamboozled by what you're supposed to yeah. think or feel in that moment. And the, and the surrealness about, like, naturally, her having a spider's head is grotesque. But she's walking on the ceiling, too. Like, it's unnatural in that sense of, like, oh, you know, I'm thinking, like, are we viewing an upside-down shot? No, there's Jake Gyllenhaal walking on the very normal floor with a perfectly normal... Like, he's just looking at it like, oh, there's the spider-headed yep, lady. there she, she goes again. You know, she's, That's the neighbor. She's off to... Yes. She just took her trash <laughs> to the dumpster. Yeah. she's a, He's all, happy Halloween. You know, like, that's, yeah. like, it's really jacked up. Like, it's so... Yeah, that ain't... That would, that would have been the top of my... That ain't right as well. Um, I'm going to cite something for mine that may surprise you a bit because it's it's not as um, absurdly grotesque, but I had forgotten. I remembered that this thing happened, or at least as it was getting close to it, as we're getting close to the end. Listeners who have not seen this film, <laughs> here here is the brief summary context you need uh, for the part for the, yeah for the for the moment that I'm going to share. Jake Gyllenhaal plays a professor who watches a movie one day and sees an actor in the film that looks identical to him. He reaches out to this actor um and Jake Gyllenhaal's character the professor is Adam and he reaches out to the actor whose name is Anthony and the Adam character is with a very young, very attractive blonde girl who I believe is just his girlfriend, not his wife. And then Anthony is married to another young, attractive blonde who happens to also be six months pregnant. Well, things progress through the narrative that I'm not getting into right now because it's not important for the scene I'm going to mention, but things progress through the narrative and through a sequence of events, they change places. Adam goes to be with the wife of Anthony. Anthony spends an evening with Adam's girlfriend. And Anthony's experience goes somewhat horribly wrong. Uh, He is Anthony's personality. He's unkind. He's very sharp. He's very egocentric. And and so their evening of intimacy devolves when she notices that he has a, 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 a tan line on his finger, indicating that he normally wears a wedding ring. When she sees that, she freaks out. And that culminates in them driving at very, very high velocities down this this freeway, and they're arguing passionately as they're driving down. Now, I remembered that they got into a car wreck right moments before it happened. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They get into a car wreck. What I had completely forgotten is how visceral the car wreck is. Like, it is 
I, I, I honestly don't know how they filmed it because if it was a stunt driver, it's probably a miracle he walked away. That that car, like I've seen accidents on screen, and they look a bit choreographed, and they look they can still look somewhat thrilling. But you know, when the car flips or whatever, I mean, that car is driving, skids into the guardrail, and practically gets demolished. I'm like, man, I, again, I just I don't know how they accomplished the shot uh, if somebody was really driving the car. Um, and so that my, that ain't right is just how utterly devastating that is, that it's just like the whole thing just disintegrates and on the heels of this very visceral, very passionate, you can't even hear every word that they're yelling at each other about. Um, so it was very, it was a very upsetting scene, a more upsetting scene to me. And it's one of the few, I will say few moments in the movie that is not horror related you know, like there's plenty of things, plenty of shots in the film and plenty of moments in the film that have like a very specific horror tinge. You mentioned Upside Down Spider Lady and everything. There's lots of moments like that. But that was one of the few moments that I'm like, this is just domesticity and it's very upsetting and, and visceral and terrifying. And that's my, that was my that ain't right is I was like, man, that is, you know, if it's not going to be Upside Down Spider Lady and if it's not going to be the final shot of the movie, that that was the one that stood out to me that's just like puts a, a big knot in my belly of like, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty upsetting, vicious, violent well, car wreck. You know, uh, I, I'll just throw on the pile here before we pivot away or pivot to the end of like in a similar vein, what, what I like and appreciate about your offering there is the, the relational aspect. And that's what, you know, kind of, uh, signals the, the, that ain't right nature. Well, what I wrote down is just the line. Did you have a good day at school? Oh, which is yeah, mm, that's jacked up. Adam posing as Anthony. Yep. She's on to him. She doesn't care. I mean, it's no. Yeah. Anyways, there's a lot you could, you could unpack there, but, but uh, that, that just scripting and her delivery was, was, you know, kind of in the, the that ain't right camp. Let's at least take a minute and talk about the finale. Um, so, you know, yeah. clearly I did not recall exactly pitching, enemy to you the way you remember it. And that's awesome. I'm glad I was so enthusiastic then. Mm -hmm. Um, what's really funny Reed is even this time I knew the final image Hmm. was of giant cowering spider, but I didn't remember how we got there. I didn't remember how we got there. So, Mm -hmm. so even at the end, I was like, well, we're very close to the end. I don't totally remember (laughs) what gets us there. And then Ellen, she doesn't respond and he just walks back there and there is this room sized shelob cowering oh and, and screaming as a, in, in this non-human tone. And then it gosh. cuts to him and he just kind of grins. So, so there's a lot thematically we can unpack there, but, but yeah, just the, just the execution of that shot, just the fact that it's even there because What's interesting, and and this is more a an exit to that ain't right. Do do you have anything you want to say about the final shot other than just its uh, wildness? It's, yeah, pretty visceral. So the the only two things that I will mention before we sort of get into unpacking, one thing not worth spending a lot of time on. I'm just going to note it. I don't remember it screaming. Like I I noted this time that the sound you hear read to me like the sounds of its legs scraping across the floor as it cowers back. Mm. I did I did not remember it making a a screech there's, or squeal. There's some sort of verbal some sort of vocalization thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I didn't remember that. Um the other thing I'll point out is that 
literally the last thing you're left with is so he rounds the corner room-sized tarantula in his room where he was expecting to see helen and then it like it it crouches up it cowers <laughs> hard to do for a room-sized spider but it cowers and then the film cuts back to him and his sigh my lord we could probably spend an hour on just what did his sigh mean because that's his response is he's just like <sighs> and and then cut to credits and i'm like don't like what the <laughs> now i ain't gonna sleep but anyway that's the last thing that I was doing. <laughs> no I, yeah there, there's nothing right about that final uh, uh image that final moment uh and that has been the part of the show where we talk about the things that aren't just wrong but read lackey and listeners oh. they ain't right they ain't right sure as hell ain't right so that out of the way i want to dive into a couple of things just as as sort of like launch pad because here's what i don't have read i don't have conclusions and you know it's i i have thoughts and i have ideas and i have possible interpretations but um i don't know that this is a movie that's i'll frame I'll, let me rephrase it i'm almost positive the goal of this movie is to not have conclusions uh, because I did oh, do a lot absolutely. of reading of interviews with Villeneuve. I did some and read, read some interviews with Gyllenhaal, like just and, and per actor Gyllenhaal very much his whole like badge of honor for even doing it was it's just fun. Let's just F with people F with this. Let's this. just get wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really <laughs> like funny. not in a, not in a cynical, like hate the audience way, but in a like, this is the fun of, of story and craft and, and idea making and, mm -hmm. and presentation and that kind of thing. So, so I don't know that there's a lot to conclude, uh, but there's a lot of avenues to, to walk down, um, a lot of, uh, uh, threads on the web, if you will. Um, one thing, and this is what I almost said and then it right. But one of the things I did discover and did do a little Wikipedia ing on is this is based mm -hmm. on a novel. This is an adaptation, at least yeah. loosely, of the a novel double. called The Double that I, I don't remember the author's name, mm -hmm. but I don't know how in Jose depth... Saramago. I don't know if I'm saying it right, okay. but... Well, thank you. Um, uh, editor's note. Thank you, Lucky. Um, <laughs> if it sounds like you, you did uh, some added digging too, like my reading of the Wikipedia plot of The Double, the book upon which Enemy is based, told me two very interesting things. One... The spiders are an invention of the film. Okay. Two, I don't know if you got this far. This kind of blew my mind. Largely, the plots are pretty similar insofar as male character uh, comes to find doppelganger out in the world, becomes obsessed with discovering identity. Mm -hmm. The two of them at a certain part do switch places. Um, they learn that one of them is 30 minutes uh, was born 30 minutes before the other. So he claims, well, I'm the, I'm the first. So, so oh, there's wow. an interesting dialogue about that. There is a fatality between the one who flips and the, the girlfriend, a la what you described as you're right. Wow. However, yeah. it's how it ends. That's dramatically different. And I totally understand why they didn't do this for the movie. The movie is actually more interested in ambiguity than conclusiveness. If I read this correctly, the way the book ends 
which just leads a whole other sort of you know kind of beam on the scaffolding to the the, the idea of the whole enterprise is uh we'll we'll call them Ad- adam and anthony for the purposes of this conversation they're not that in the book because it is a, a, a mm. spanish language i believe and adam survives in the movie we'll say it's character by name adam in the book end of book adam gets a phone call and it's another other same, really? same oh, voice wow same voice mm. asking him to meet and this time this adam character walks out with a gun to go meet him wow and so so one oh, i was just really fascinated i was like wow that's pretty cool pretty different pretty interesting but so so that's almost just kind of fun footnote fun factoid possible sure buoyance for themes for the movie but i don't even know that i want to go there because what i find interesting about the movie and maybe i don't know if you'll agree with this but it's just kind of my my current feelings about it are i don't what's really interesting and why villeneuve has gone on to become this incredibly lauded filmmaker is for a movie involving all of the on paper plotting things that it does involve uh infidelity you know uh sexuality that kind of thing i don't know that it's about either of those things and so it it kind of begs the question so so there's two questions that that are interesting to me um i'm not necessarily saying hey do you have definitive answers for these but the things that are interesting to me as i've now watched enemy twice are okay what is the primary sort of idea here and two, the spiders. So I, I didn't, it wasn't my intention reading. So my apologies for just, you know, kind of running out of the gates here. But you're right. What's weird about this movie in a cool way is once you get past its, its wackiness, it's not, it's not sci fi. It's not interested in replicants mm-hmm. and copies and duplicates. And it's only barely interested in quote unquote doppelgangers. What it seems yeah. sort of interested in is who are you? And that's pretty mm-hmm. fascinating because I, abs- I absolutely agree because the more I've kind of mulled and pondered and just sort of maybe over, uh, maybe too strong word meditated on like, what, what is this? Like, cause what's really cool about the way it's made is it sort of puts you in this frame of mind of like there, there are shots in the movie. And one of my favorite shots in the movie is the moment where Ellen has confronted Adam at the school. Adam's completely oblivious to mm. who she is kind of says yeah. he has just spoken to Anthony for the first time they've connected. They're going to meet. And yep. She's totally befuddled by what she's watching in this human who literally looks like her husband and he mm-hmm. he just has this encounter with her of like oh you ever just have a great day or something it's something real ebullient about what he's just experienced in this conversation with Anthony he walks mm-hmm. away wishes her well walks away turns a corner and as he turns the corner her phone rings and it's Anthony and i love that because Oof. it's such a mm-hmm. powerful visual metaphor for what i'm going to use this word and i i don't even have a ton to say about it other than it it's something i've kept thinking about is the shift and what I mean by the shift is how uh, 
what is interesting about this movie is it's it's gendered nature it is very interested in a male position in the world like the space we occupy as men perhaps uh, someone would watch mm. this who isn't a man and think well okay i i think the same thing for me watching it and that's totally fair as a man i watch it and this is the stuff i was thinking about and this idea of the shift kept coming to me but the shift just being those moments in time read sometimes when you're just like depressed or down or just like just feeling shat on by the world and and those moments that yeah. could happen where you're like i want to step into a different life that's what i mean by the shift mm-hmm and so mm-hmm. what's really fascinating to me about this movie is it really plays with that idea of like the temptation, the, the allure, the um, forbidden fruit, really, of you can call it yeah. sexuality and, and the the sexuality of others that aren't yours. But I, I think it's more the the forbidden fruit of just what isn't us and what isn't ours, um, mm. which then puts that mirror back on us. OK, well, then what is us and what is ours? I'm running off two final questions. One, I've got a lot of thoughts on one. I've got a few, but I just want to pose them. So yes, it's the spiders. What are the spiders? I've got ideas, but two. So listeners, this movie involves some pretty, I mean, there's a lot of sex in it. Uh, there's, uh, it's a very tastefully made movie. Uh, but you know, there's a good bit of nudity and sex in it. And the, so I want to introduce this scene, but I don't want anyone. I can be jokey and Tom and, and just, I was going to say tomfoolery, but like I can be silly. I'm not invoking the scene to be silly. I want to speak about it, but the opening scene seems like it's a, a voyeuristic setting of a bunch of men watching a woman masturbating is what it seems like. Right. But, but okay. So here's then my question read. Is that what's happening? Because this is what I mean by I keep thinking about this movie, like, and and what do the spiders mean? I think the spiders are meant to be this sort of projected representation of women and and how men can often think women prey on them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% certain, certain that what is happening there is self-pleasure because the literal next scene is the presentation of a, a little spider. So you've got these tiers of spider you've got a silver platter (laughs) right you've got this giant lurking one just just roaming the city which is just Mm -hmm. haunting the skyscraper spider you've got the room size one which i think there's a a a lot of cause to question almost everything in this movie whether it's literal or not so Mm. i'm not suggesting Mm -hmm. it's literal you've got a room size one then you've got the tiny one so those are the three iterations and then you've got the morphed you know half woman half spider thing um I'm not a hundred percent sure self-pleasure is happening in that scene. Mm-hmm. And, and because if you remember the, the sort of uh, sequence there, it's that scene, it's the spider with the, um, the heel about to crush it. Right. I think this is the sequence. Um, maybe it's before this, but there's a moment at the very beginning where you hear the mother's voiceover in the voicemail. Uh, yes. I remember that. Then, you see Ellen nude pregnant on the bed, looking back to the camera. Mm-hmm. I remember and that. Then it's like credits. So main takeaway I'm trying to suggest here and, and want to let you talk. Cause clearly I'm excited and won't shut up. <laughs> I do think, I do think big ideas in this movie are who are we and what is ours? Mm-hmm. 
how and if and what men project into the world as as what women's function is because mm-hmm. this movie is clearly playing with maternal figure uh uh yeah. lover figure um maternal being his own mother and mother of supposed child to come i'll shut up because <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> no you don't no you don't have to apologize it's, these are the things that have been on my mind and i kept thinking i was like i, I just can't there's no conclusion here it's just no, interesting thoughts and ideas you know yeah well and and to to let you off the hook a little bit there i don't think and it, it sounded like you were kind of um already affirming this but i don't think conclusions are the point of this film as much as evocation sure. i think intentionally they did set out this is the sense i get from the film so everything that's about to follow from my thoughts on it it should th- this should be the preface i'm sure i did this closer to the first time i saw it i'm sure i did that that was m- almost a decade ago the first time i saw it i'm sure i looked up as much as i could and read about it this time around, I actively chose not to. It was a, it was a decision mm. I made where I said, no, I want to just experience the sure. movie and see what I think about it. And, and, and that's as much as I was. So that could mean that I'm going to throw some ideas out that maybe an article or an interview <laughs> firmly shuts down. Maybe that's true. Um, but I just wanted an exercise to see like, okay, well, what do I take away from it? Just if, as I'm absorbing it. So the things that stood out to me this time, um, the spiderness of it all, I, I did get. I'm, 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 I have a few thoughts on that piece of it, but I'm right there with you about there's a decision being made about who you want to be. There's a decision me- being made about what life you want to embrace and lead. There's even a little percolating thing up in the bottom of my mind that maybe is intentional, maybe is deliberate. Maybe you would say like, yep, read, that's very obvious, but... Almost makes me wonder, like, the, all of the narrative mechanics aside, these are the same people. Like, Anthony and Adam are the same human being. And call it subconscious, call it otherworldly, alternate reality universes colliding together or whatever it is. Like, they are two divergent paths of which this is the direction that, that this life could have gone in. It could have gone here or it could have gone here. Um, and those alternatives are conversing and battling each other. Um, That's one of the things I got out of it. Another thing is, I think the title card, I did write this down because I was like, okay, uh, I didn't remember it from my first viewing, but I was like, clearly this is where they want us to begin Mm -hmm. to think Mm -hmm. about what they're about to show us. And that's that chaos is order yet undeciphered, which is a fascinating statement. Sure. It's a statement that implies that there is no such thing as chaos. It's just that you can't read the order that is there. That it's right. like, no, no, no. Yeah, and, and that's a fascinating concept to basically say like, no, no, no. It's only chaotic to you because you don't understand how to navigate it. And it's only chaotic to you because you haven't cracked the code on on why this is order, uh, which I find that to be a fascinating concept. So early on, one thing that stood out to me, I did... I, I didn't do a lot of rewinding and rewatching while I was seeing the movie, but I did a couple of times. One of the things was what the character um, is is sharing with his uh, class when he's mm-hmm. what, what he's saying mm-hmm. with this class about um, 
Yeah, he says, you know, he says, and 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 I pulled it up because I didn't write it down, but I pulled it up because I wanted to get it right. He said, every dictatorship has one obsession, and that's it. In ancient Rome, they gave the people bread and circuses. They kept population busy with entertainment, but other dictatorships used other strategies to control ideas, the knowledge. How do they do that? They lower education, they limit culture, censor information, they censor any means of individual expression, and it's important to remember this, that this is a pattern. This repeats itself throughout history. Now, here's what I found interesting, is he says that, and it's in a scene where there's classroom attendees involved, and he says that, and I'm like, oh, okay, clearly this is a thematic point. But then, I don't know if you caught this, like maybe 30 seconds later, he says it again, word for word. It's the same thing. Like, he says that little speech. I don't remember what the interlude was, but there's an interlude of him like driving home or maybe having sex with Mary or something. And then he says it again. And it's, it's word for word, this exact same sentence. And it stood out to me, that final line where he says, this repeats itself throughout history. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. This, they, they want me to be, again, I haven't read anything on it, but I got the impression of like, he wants me to be looking for patterns, looking for repetition, looking for similarities and, and, and everything like that. And that, of course, made me think of what is one of the most uh, obvious sort of things that is uh, potentially chaotic but has a definite pattern and rhythm to it, a spider web. A spider web is full of patterns and it, you know, on one hand from the outside, it could look like chaos. Um, it could look invisible to the prey that gets trapped in it. That's why they get trapped is because they didn't see it and they flew right into it. Um, and so it's interesting to me the way the ideas up front talk about control and talk about manipulation and talk about those kinds of big concepts that get brought up in lots of different ways, control and manipulation, and then marry that up with the motif of spiders, like which, you know, spiders weave a web and then hang on the outskirts until their prey gets trapped in it where they are trained, in, in, well, instinctually, they mm. pounce. Like, okay, you didn't see this, now you're mine. Now you're in the web. And what's interesting to me, so there's one thing, and I did put this in the piece that I wrote on uh, for more than one lesson, but this has stood out to me from watching the film and specifically relates to the final scene. The final scene, I, I think you used the word cowering when describing this room-sized spider. Obviously, the size of the spider makes it difficult to really absorb this, but I think you would agree with this. It is very clear that the posture, this giant spider is adopting is not predatory or violent. Mm. It is scared. This gigantic spider is maybe not scared, but it's definitely hiding. It can't hide because it's a room-sized spider, but it adopts when it when when Jake Gyllenhaal turns the corner, the room-sized spider adopts a posture of making itself as small as it can make it. It, it tucks sure. in its legs, it backs up, and what stood out to me is something that I've told my son, mentioned it to my wife several times. It doesn't really matter if there's a spider in the house, but I've told my son this many, many times because I was told this. They are more afraid of us than we are of them. Is this is about spiders in the real world. They are more afraid of us than we are of them. Um, and they will only, most spiders will only bite you, the giant lurking in its path, 
when it feels threatened. That's the only time that it will bite you. It'll bite its prey and it'll do its it'll do its thing for anything smaller than it or maybe even, you know, its same size. But the only time that it will bite you is if, you know, it feels threatened or if it feels trapped and the only way to get out of it is is to bite you. And that concept was drum beating through my mind as I watched it through this time around. And and here's what I'll wrap around as a kind of an idea um, about like who are we and 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 what kind of life do we choose to lead? It's interesting because something that stands out to me about spiders as a as a being in the world. Um, my son constantly asks me like, "Was well, that spider uh, poisonous? Poisonous is not the right word. Venomous is the right word. But you know, like, is is that spider venomous? Is that spider poisonous? What is it?" And I'm, I'm constantly having to tell him, "Son, all spiders are." venomous all of them are 100% of spiders are venomous it's just that some of them are not dangerous to humans their venom is not dangerous to us for whatever reason because of the type of spider because of the whatever but the way spiders get their prey is by using venom to immobilize their prey before they consume it so that's so all spiders that's just a a quality of spiders birds sing and fly and <laughs> You know, most of them, uh, and spiders are venomous. That's like just the what ostrich. it is. Uh, yeah, the ostrich and the penguin. You know, so but anyway, the um, <clears throat> so um, but but the point being that we as humans, we're venomous too. It's different, and we're not dangerous to everybody, but we have a certain kind of poison, a certain kind of power, a certain kind of manipulative you know, weave a web kind of thing. Like we have that capability and it just stood out to me that the name of the film is not double. It's not spider. It's enemy. And the, you talk about like, who are we? And, and what's the other very, very common phrase when it comes to enemies that we have, that we are our own worst ones, that we are, our own worst enemies. And that was bouncing around in my head, bouncing around that we make our choices, the different versions, the different ways I can choose to be. Um, And in the end, what happens right before Jake Gyllenhaal goes, you know, to round that corner and witnesses, you know, big spider Helen is he has just decided that he's going to go to the place where Anthony goes. That's the decision he's made. He finally opened up the envelope, and what's in the envelope? It's the key to that underground little thing. And, I, and I'm with you. I'm not convinced. Voyeurism is absolutely happening, but I'm not necessarily sure. convinced yeah. that, that, that self-pleasure is what they're witnessing uh, because it is entirely possible. Because remember, that, that tiny spider is served up on a silver platter. What do you normally serve up on a silver platter? Normally, it is something, a trophy or something to consume or something like that. And, uh, and that's what the, the, the image that we first see is that woman lifting the, the, the top part of the platter and, the, and a, a spider is being like served up. And and so again, it's talking. It invokes these ideas of oppression and control. And you know, the very first thing we see is that her uh, it doesn't fulfill the moment, but that she's going to crush that spider underneath her heel. And uh, and so again, that's all fascinating to me. And at the end of it, it's almost as if 
Adam has this choice. The reason you invoked the scene earlier, and then I'm I'm going to finish these thoughts, and then I'll, I'll 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 shut up. But you invoked that that image earlier, where you know when Anthony changes places and goes to be with Mary, he just wants like he thinks Mary's attractive, so he just wants to be with her um, intimately. But then Adam is kind of more reluctantly venturing into mm-hmm. switching places with Anthony. And when he ventures in, it's notable that I think the reason Helen receives him, even though she knows that he's the fake to her, I think the reason she receives him is because he's he's kind. This right. version of him is different. Is right. is yes, is is concerned for her well being and is not yelling at her about organic blueberries, but is instead trying to invite a sense of tenderness so then when she says as they're cuddling did you have a good day at school it's almost as if like she's she's tossing it out there like i know who you are but don't leave you know it's almost as if like that's oh, yeah. what oh that's exactly that's what, what that's what happened, she, yeah. you know and so he's been invited into this and that other that other version of things that's died now maybe he knew it maybe he didn't but we see it violently ripped apart because it couldn't it couldn't survive it, they, they're the Anthony and uh, Mary were arguing in the car, and the car just gets shredded and decimated. So it's dead. It's gone. Adam can continue this way, or when he opens up the, the envelope, he can go back to that underground thing where you know you're enticed by control, you're enticed by violence, you're enticed by crushing a helpless thing, you're enticed by that, and then. It is when he sort of embraces that idea because then he says out to her, he's like, did you have any plans? Because I think I need to go out tonight. And that's when suddenly it, the, the illusion of that moment is gone. He's not with Helen anymore. He's not with whatever else. Now he's with a being that is terrified to move forward into whatever's next with him. Because when he rounds the corner, despite its size, despite its potential power, it is terrified of him, and it shrinks away from him. And I couldn't lose this time around. I couldn't lose that in the moment he sees it shrink away, and his response is to sigh. His response is, it, it almost seems like something clicks for him, and he realizes, like, oh, yeah. I don't know if that means he's going to continue into the pattern or if that means that he's going to think better of it and do something different. Maybe that's for us as the viewers to decide. But something registers with him of, like, okay, the the illusion is shattered, and I am going right back into this same cycle of whatever it was. And it's interesting. I didn't know the ending of the novel, but it's interesting that like, okay, yeah, uh, more will come, more doppelgangers, more whatever, and you choose who you're going to be and how you're going to navigate the world around you. So I know, I mean, like, good Lord, you and I both just had sort of like data dumps for all of these things that we were, you know, cascading down about what this movie you yeah know, invokes in well us, but no i mean you and i haven't talked about this movie in 10 years and i don't remember the first time so that's good <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I, I do want to engage some of that like here's what's please do yeah here's what's cool about this movie is within certain reason there's little interpretation we're, we're gonna pull away from and someone be like that's wrong that's dumb because you know it it, it is it is loaded. Mm-hmm. And and I do think largely, and I consider this based on just my experience of the movie twice now and reading the interviews and stuff, I think the intention is 
okay, read that 10 minute diatribe. That's what you think. Okay, cool. You know, I think, I, I think that's exactly. the intention of the piece. Yes. Oh, yes. Nathan, the 10 minute diatribe you had before read Sim and I like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, like I, I, that's why Absol- I kind of love it. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I will say this though. I feel like you've, you've shored up for me some things that were only starting to materialize one. Here's what, here's what's cool about this movie is you made the comment a few minutes back about you think they are prime prime and and second you know kind of these are yes maybe maybe multiversal jakes whatever Mm -hmm. so so the very literal options are there it's multiversal jakes it's doppelgangers inside the same dimension it's Mm -hmm. the same person literally like yeah right 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 like like actually the same being same Mm -hmm. embodied person I, th- I think the movie is like, it doesn't matter, yo, like the right. Uh, yeah. In, in, in a cool way, not as in to dismiss the notions, but as in to just be sure. like, okay, cool. Run with that. You know, don't where, try to decipher the mechanics. You? Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Where, where does that take you? Um, so, so I personally, I think there's a world where Adam Anthony are the literal same embodied person. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm not even arguing for that. I'm just saying, I, I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, Additionally, I think that just the nature of the doppelganger, which is, you know, a pretty, a pretty, um, historic trope in societies in civilizations. And, and, and it's just kind of playing with that, uh, needling that idea. So honestly, what's less, what's becoming less fascinating to me about that, because to me, ultimately the notion of the double as presented in this film is more about who are you? What do you want? What are you content with? What are you willing to mm. do to get what you're not, what you don't have? Like, like yeah, those are right. very central questions Absolutely. To, to the idea of the movie, to the pursuits of these characters. However, I feel like the more you were talking, the more I feel pretty f- confident in my take, whether this ultimately would be something Denis would sign off on remains to be seen. But when you were talking about what does the final spider do? It cowers. What do you tell your son? They're more afraid of us than we are of them. That's what kind of unlocked it for me because, Mm -hmm. because additionally randomly read utterly random, totally unrelated to watching this movie or anticipation of this conversation at my work office the other day where stupid conversations happen that are <laughs> uh, apropos of nothing. Somehow spiders and tarantulas came up and somebody was like, you know, they're oh, not wow. dangerous at all. You know, they're not, they're not harmful. And, and every, uh, another person was like, Oh BS. Yes, they are. And so it, all it took was a quick wow. Google search. And it's like, Oh, okay. No, they're, they're, the, they they're can not some allergic yeah. reactions, you know, like sure. they're not, yeah. um, uh, actively dangerous. So yeah. what I think actually might be I, uh, more now than even 15, 20 minutes ago to me, my takeaway from what this movie is after isn't just who are you? What do you want? What are you content with? What are you willing to do for what you don't have is, Hey men, who are you? What do you want? What are you content with? What are you willing to do for that which you don't have? Hey, men. Because, and I alluded to this earlier, but it wasn't fully formed. What if 
because remember, Reed, I referenced this earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm toggling all over the place. You're top right. of the movie, top of the movie. There's the sound of a mother's voice in voicemail form, though that's a little mm-hmm. irrelevant to where I'm going. So sort of ignore that, but I'm just trying to sequence it towards the very top. There's the image of Helen on the bed, looking towards the camera over her shoulder. Here's a, what if, what if that image, which is merely presented as image and in isolation, what if that image is what he sees when he turns the corner at the end of the movie? So go with me here. Okay. I think, I think and feel at least 60% confident now, even Mm. in just this conversation that this is what the movie is sort of interested in and after and why, because, because I think I kept, I kept losing the, the the thread on it kept being a little elusive to me was like, okay, I know enough of Villeneuve's output that I know things he's not, and he's not misogynistic generally, right. at least in the ways that all of us can be in certain regards in these things, sexist, um, mm-hmm. you know, chauvinistic, like these aren't attributes of the person I've understood as a filmmaker for a decade now. Right. Right. But sometimes in this movie, you're like, I don't know, <laughs> which is the beauty of art. What if the movie's trying to say, indeed, dudes, stop projecting your shit onto mm-hmm. women as conniving? Because what are spiders? They're conniving. Mm-hmm. They're manipulative. They're alluring. Not they themselves aren't alluring. They allure. These are your inventions, men. These mm-hmm. ideas are your projections because fill in the gap reasons it, it, it enhances mystique Mm -hmm. because you said it, she is more afraid of him. Why does he, if, if there's any validity to what, if that's actually what he's seeing at the end, the sigh is more to me right now, comprehension of newfound control. Now I've got it. Oh, wow. Because, because what are they doing at the beginning? They're, they're voyeurizing some sort of sexual experience. And if Mm -hmm. you follow this, what, what is a sort of signature trope in a patriarchal society? It's women attacking women. What happens if these spiders are meant to represent women as gender? What happens? They're watching a woman destroy another in the, Mm -hmm. in the stomp. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm really fascinated now by this idea. I don't think it's as simple as things we do to each other as humans. I think this thing is interrogating because, because this movie is very male point of view centered. Like, yes. Yeah. Arguably Mary and Helen are incidental and inconsequential. This is what I mean when I say I'm interchangeable as well. Yes. This is what I mean when I say Villeneuve is smarter than women as placeholder storyteller. That's not what he's after. He's basically saying, dudes, you use women as placeholders Mm. and seek to control, to dominate. And once you do control and dominate, they're no longer spiders to you. They're things. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm just really now fascinated by this idea um, that you kind of put into play. So I'm blaming you. Yes. Uh, (laughs) By suggesting, you know, because, because uh, uh, monsters, um, Spiders as device are horrific beings. You know, it's, it's, um, Shelob in Lord of the Rings. It's, I mean, Mm -hmm. think about it, Reed. 
spiders in literature are predominantly gendered female. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I you mean, know, Charlotte, collo- Charlotte's Web. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The colloquial name for the most infamous one is a black widow, which is a, sure. a female gendered, you know, sort of, of course, that is rooted to the fact that they eat their mate, but that's, I mean, but still it's, um, yeah, they, they are typically Way to reinforce the stereotype, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, it's a look, that's nature. Anyway, but, I just, um, but, but you're, you're, yes, you're supporting that idea, which is, I think it's fascinating that he, it, especially if this imagery isn't present in the book. And I don't, I, from what I read of the plot, it doesn't feel like spiders as image is present there. Uh, it feels yeah, like a, so a, a tool utilized for this film specifically that is interrogating because you, you reference this thing that happens in the movie, Anthony, to me, his pursuit of Mary is of control. It is not of curiosity. The, curiosity may be a second tier sort of motivator, but yeah. it's, oh yeah, there's someone out there who looks just like me, who has something similar to what I have that isn't saddled. Uh, this is how the stereotyped gendered male might think isn't saddled with, you know, demands and pregnant yeah. and the future and all this sort of stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to chase that down. I'm going to lurk. I'm going to skulk. I'm going to mm-hmm. uh, anonymously ride by on my motorcycle. Like that is a pursuit of control. And you are right. I think that the flip has happened at the end for Adam into Anthony. I'm not even saying literally physical embodiment, but as in mentality and mindset and right. psychology, because now he's there. He's like, Oh, this is mine. Now mm-hmm. she cowers the, the spider cowers anyway anyway i yeah. i really appreciate the ideas this is after and cause <laughs> to talk about them which is this conversation yeah no absolutely um and you know for for myself there's there's two things that i want to walk away from uh number one i think absolutely it's impossible to ignore the gendered power dynamics present within the film so in that sense i think you're your reading of it is absolutely on point, even if, you know, maybe everything that you said is exactly kind of what they were going for, maybe some ballpark or, you know, whatever. But I think it's difficult. I think it's a it's a misreading of the film to say like, well, no, it's 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 not to do with gender at all. Oh, it absolutely is to do with gender. Like it, they're, they're, whatever is at the root of these extrapolations, that gender control power dynamics are absolutely in the the threads of this film. Now, I don't know. I love your take that because it's a question I hadn't thought about of what is he really seeing when, like, what in in yeah. the literal sense, what is he really seeing when he t- turns the corner? That is a fascinating question. Um, and at the moment, the the opening shot is as good an answer to that as any because I believe I don't remember I don't remember in the moment I'm struggling to remember but doesn't does it end like before the final shot is there another voicemail of the mother talking before like while Helen is in the shower and like towel drying off um, after she gets out of the shower. Is there another voicemail playing? I, I feel, don't think so, but I, but I don't remember. Oh, man, I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to pull it back I up and just see, because yeah, my recollection I'm, is it's simply, he's looking at the key, pondering what he ponders. She walks out behind him into the room. 
He yeah. asks the question you mentioned earlier. What are you doing yeah. tonight? She doesn't respond. Yeah. He goes in. Yeah. Um, but I think that is a big, I think it's a worthwhile question. Uh, this, this maybe explodes what I'm about to offer, maybe explodes it out beyond just the confines of this film, but it is something that I think about, uh, quite often. Um, just the idea, I'll frame it in the language of the film. So, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character rounds the corner and we see room-sized spider cowering in fear away from him. So the question is, the two-part question, number one, what does he really see? That's what you were scratching at earlier, which I think is mm-hmm. just, that, uh, love that question. What does he really see? But the other question, the harder one for me, and the one that kind of explodes it out for me is, what would I see? So when I rounded that corner, if I were in my own mind toying with notions um, or, or, or examining fantastical possibilities in my own mind, what would I see when I rounded the corner? And how would I take it in? And that is what explodes it out to even more so than just that insulated moment of, of just what do we see when we see blank? Like when you see yeah. beautiful woman, what do you see? When let's let's go back to our days pre-marriage as single, like when you oh see boy. beautiful woman. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, what do you what do you see? And even more so than that, when you see wife, spouse, lifelong companion, what do you see when you see blank? Like that is a question worth pondering. That's a question worth meditating on. Like, what do you see when you see this? Because what you see, how you take it in affects how you're going to treat it, what you're, how you're going to respond to it. And I mean, yeah, you could, I don't, I actively don't want to do this in this conversation, but to, to put an asterisk, to throw a footnote, to hang a lantern on it, you could explode that into any gender, any, uh, uh, social construct, political construct. Uh, you could, you could throw any number of considerations at that. Like, what do you see when you see blank and fill in the blank for blank? Um, it's, it's a worthwhile pondering to what do you see when you see blank, but to keep it more insulated to that, to the, the ones that are in our home, the ones that are in our world, the ones that are close to us, the ones that if we chose to, we could really hurt because, there's all manner of ways in which we can navigate around the world as unkind people, jerks, as uh, kind people, as as benevolent people. There's all kinds of ways we can navigate the world. But the reality is we don't hold a tremendous amount of power over very many people. But the ones that we've let into our little worlds, you know, you, I'll, I'll bring it out of the gender conversation and, and just bring it into like you and me as friends, like you and I have because of the length of our friendship because of the depth of our friendship we have the 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 power to like not trying to be too dramatic but we can we have the power to like break shackles and and really sort of clear the cobwebs sometimes if we are really in the moment and can really speak health and life we also have the power should we choose to do so to really hurt one another like we could really do some damage if that were the 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 mode in which we chose to operate and the same is true 
of our loved ones. The same is true of our children. The same is true of our spouses. Um, the, the people that are really close to us, we have the choice to care for that and protect that and to be, you know, to provide a space in which that can feel the freedom to thrive and using spider language, spread out its legs and get comfortable as opposed to cowering away. Or we can choose to make that a place in which everybody around us feels the need to have to protect themselves from us. And I think it's, uh, so this next offering might be my final it's my final thread on this train of thought um, might be my final statement for the film. Um, I've said it on the show before. I mean, we're at almost 300 episodes in now, so there's not much I haven't said on the show before already Um, theologically or conceptually or something like that. But one of the things I've said before on the show, and it is not an idea that I originated. I do not remember where I heard the idea. I read a lot. I listen to a lot. I don't, it's, it's bad of me, but I don't remember where I heard this idea. Um, but I remember somewhere along the line, I heard the idea that, um, from the garden of Eden, and I'm going to bring this back into, to enemy in just a second, but in the garden of Eden, um, the, the Adam and Eve were told, don't eat the fruit because you'll die the day you eat the fruit. And then the serpent tempts them by saying like, you're not going to die. Um, you know, you, you're going to be like God. And so they choose to eat the fruit. But the scripture is deliberate in saying that when they choose to eat the fruit, um, what happens to them is their eyes are opened. And this is what I think I've shared on the show before. So their eyes are opened. And as I have thought about that scripture before, as I've, I've, I've meditated on that scripture again, this is not a concept I came up with. I heard it somewhere, but it has really stuck with me. Um, is that the, the death, if you will, the thing that changed was a death of perspective. It was a death of vision. Like their eyes were opened, not necessarily a good thing. That they're, the way they saw themselves, the way they saw their relationship with God, the way they saw their world around them had died. It had changed. And now suddenly in the Genesis narrative, um, now suddenly shame is introduced and, 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 Everything takes on a bit more of a sinister sheen, and they feel the need to hide, and they feel the need to cover themselves with fig leaves and and hide from God, with whom previously they had walked freely and openly in the cool of the day. Again, bringing it back to enemy, uh, the the intimate one rounds the corner, and the giant spider cowers, feels the need to hide. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure that I'm landing this thought as it's percolating, you know, very effectively, but I think about the ways in which we too often think of, I'll use this language, too often think of sin in our life as activity, action, choice. What this conversation is bringing up to me is that it is also this kind of sheen, this this perspective that infects and this way you see the world and this way that you see other people and this way that you see your loved one, not in a Christ-like faithful perspective, but in a, uh, a, a sin-soaked kind of deathly perspective, which gets back to your very pertinent question of what do you see when you see blank? And far too many of us, and this is what I hope for myself to take away from this and to meditate upon maybe further, but what far too many of us maybe see is uh, 
something we have to fix, something we have to manipulate, something that we have to uh, uh, put the right input in, uh, the, all of this language, getting back to the whole gender constructs and gender dynamics, uh, language of authority and submission and all that other kind of very, very damaging, very sort of um, dreadful language that has seeped its way into our conversations uh, and, and misreadings of scripture, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's what I walk away with when I think about your question of, you know, what does Jake Gyllenhaal really see when he rounds the corner? And what do I see when I see blank? And have my eyes been opened because of indulgences and sin and uh, a, a perspective and an infection that is clouding my view? Or am I willing to let my eyes be transformed, let my eyes be renewed, let my mind be renewed, to think of the people in my life, the world around me, in what I hope to be a more faithful perspective, a more Christ-like perspective. Um, you know, somewhere along the line, my eyes may have been broken, and I may round the corner and see a very scared, very giant spider, as opposed to the tender, maternal you know, I may see something that is within my power to control and to wound, as opposed to seeing the beauty of life and creation. Again, I'm using, I'm borrowing your juxtaposition of when he turned the corner, did he see her pregnant self sitting on the bed, mm -hmm. just sort of resting? Um, and that's fascinating to me. That's 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 actually quite powerful to me to think about and meditate on. Well, um, maybe piggybacking off what you're saying, maybe not. I think. Maybe we'll see. It's curious to me. So the, the book, this movie is based on is called the double. Mm -hmm. My understanding of the book is it's interested in examining the doppelganger concept and conceit. Yeah. This movie in adapting that book did not choose to name itself the double. Mm -hmm. It did in fact, choose to name itself enemy. And to me, largely, there are two parties presented in a broad sense, one in a specific sense, other, that can represent that. One is self. And I think because of the nature of the characters in question presented in the film, it's also, you could say generically those we're in relationship with, I'm going to say because it's the types of the film, male to female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, enemy. And something that I think is really interesting that I believe as a core tenant, and I also think the movie might believe too, mm. is we have enemy because we've chosen to. Mm. An enemy exists in relation to us because we've decided an enemy exists mm. in relation to us. Mm. Enemy mm -hmm. as a concept is that which impulse would determine we are supposed to dominate mm. conquer defeat sure yeah own yeah mm -hmm. uh yeah abuse mm. um mm -hmm. and so i just find this such a fascinating text and what just through our time talking about it because a lot of this was in very seedling form yeah. based on just mm -hmm. viewing the text. I find myself much more 
seeing a, a, a you know trees burst forth of of just this notion that because I'm with you I think I think at the end of the film he has decided on enemy mm. Mm. I I love the notion that the film is constructed in such a way because here's what the movie is not it is not stream of consciousness meaning haphazard and a bit right. unwieldy. Right. It has a story logic. It, it has a logic to it, mm-hmm. which is what made me not be able to shake those flashes at the front, that image of her. Yeah. And that's what led me to, well, maybe this is just the foreshadowing, but he has decided at the end on enemy. And I think about this a lot, Reed. I think about it in pff, way too big of conceits like nation-state dynamics. Hmm. I think about it a lot because I'm just around a work culture sometimes that reinforces because it believes lies that reinforce, believes in the notion of enemy as yeah. one or whom or many of which we are meant to dominate. And, and I just get weary sometimes, you know, because, because I don't want to pretend, I don't want to pretend. I don't want to, I don't want to phone it in. I don't want to just be like, Hey, you know, you don't, you've, you've chosen enemies. You don't have to have enemies. Like I, 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 I'm not callous enough in that regard to suggest this is an easy path, but, but dude, it's the path to call none enemy. To call all friend. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. It is subsuming self. Mm-hmm. It is subsuming self-interest, pursuit, gain, accumulation. Because all those things to to earn them, to to arrive at them on a certain level require some domination. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I don't mean to run off too long, other than simply to say. I think there's something powerful when we ponder and meditate on the notion that that enemies largely exist because we've chosen for them to, and they don't have to. Yeah. And mm-hmm. why it's so hard to get over the hump, the hill, the mountain, the mountain range of how not to have enemies is because we are very selfish, mm-hmm. and we want, and we want, and we take, and sadly, people who look like you and me hetero white dudes tend to have the market cornered on making this happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. Domination, pursuit, gain, uh, abuse. And I just think it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me that in choosing to interpret the film the way they did, instead of the double, they chose enemy. I think I love the notion that what this movie is really interested in is, is, is holding up the mirror. Are you the one staring voyeuristically? Mm -hmm. Are you the one Willing to trade places, willing, because that happens here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These guys make a pact that yeah. hey, you can have what's mine, I'll have what's yours. Consequences be damned. My final note: enemies are present because we've chosen for them to be. The way around having enemies is to befriend. And you befriend by setting aside self-interest, even until death. 
sometimes. You said you said I do not remember on what episode, but you said, um, and I'm not even going to be able to quote it effectively. I'm just crediting you with the notion, uh, and and unfortunately, I do not have your words verbatim to cite back to you. But like, love of enemy means we have no enemies. Like that's that's what love of enemy. Eventually, that's the eventual end game of when Christ compels us to love our enemies is that we have no enemies. And I do think it's important that 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 you know we not be naive to the world that um, certain things are going to be in opposition to one another. But I think it's important sure. to 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 I think language is important to recognize that an, that an opponent is not necessarily an enemy. I can have a myriad of opponents Absolutely. in partic- in particular objectives. I can have a multitude of opponents. None of them have to be my enemy because enemy implies a certain degree of harm or weakening. Enemy implies a certain degree of hostility. Opponent doesn't have to. I can engage in opposition to something that um, you know, is seeking a different objective than I want. That does not have to mean that that is my enemy, therefore must be squashed, weakened, harmed. Absolutely. And to your point, and, and you are right in attempting the nuance there of like, I don't even think what I'm after is trying to encourage naivete as much as it is to say, you also don't, you don't buy in, you don't Mm. play. You say, no, like, Right. And it's really fascinating because I, I love your, your dynamic there, your verbal dynamic there of opponent versus enemy. Uh, was, rec- was recently listening to, uh, David Gushy be interviewed on another podcast, uh, who's been on the show a couple of times now. And it was really fascinating because he was talking about peacemaking being radically different than peacekeeping. And, and he, mm. he said, no, you don't shirk or shy away from the conflict. The yeah. friction. Mm-hmm. It's only mm-hmm. through the friction that some version of comprehension and understanding can come can come. In other words, yeah. peacekeeping is simply, oh God, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Right. We're fine. Right. It's fine. Shh, shh, shh. Keep the peace. Peacemaking yep. is, hey, <laughs> uh, we got a problem, you know? Yeah. Let's, right. Right. Let's right. let's find our way through. Anyway, anyway, um, no. I feel the need to to uh, yeah. wrap up the bug and the web yeah. and call it lunch. Ooh. I mean, call oh, it good. That's wow. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I mean, endlessly fascinating. I think I'm with you. Let's um, let's, let's pivot over to fog meter for this. Um, Dude, I'm glad we uh, had this conversation. That's good. I'm glad we got this movie. Too. Thank you, Andrew, for suggesting it. Thank you so much, Andrew Nelson, again, for suggesting uh, this film. We are now going to enter into the fog meter for, uh, Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, our very specific metric of fear and God. I'll go first on fear. It is easy to... Here's the reality. This is a 10 uh, for not because it is pervasively oh. Oh. as such, but because the 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 moments that exist just lodge themselves in your imagination deeply unsettling by design by intention um so it's not a pervasively nightmarish film but uh what moments there are who boy so for me uh fear is a 10 what say you (laughs) 
I love when the path starts materializing, and I'm like, are we, are we going <laughs> to, we're going to reach for something here. I don't know if we're going to get quite there. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, we'll you know, I mean, like, I'm going to go for a 10. Um, I was tempted mm-hmm. to do a nine, but whereas I think there's ever so slight diminishing returns on the effect the imagery has on you on a subsequent viewing, mm-hmm. I, I do, however, think the ideas trade places with it. I mean, it's the shift happens. Like what is haunting and kind of terrifying the first time you watch it, though slightly muted the second time. Now it's ideas become more present and prevalent and oh my God. Yeah. yeah, I will go with a 10. Okay. What would you give it for the God meter? I'm going to give it a 10. Um, We're going there. I think this movie is, this movie is about saying, Hey, this is me tapping on the screen. Listeners can't hear it. Tapping on the mic. It's saying, hey, guess what? Especially dudes. This is you. And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, 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 And they're like, no, no, really? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's you. And I'm like, no, it's my double. And you're like, uh-uh, nope. Not going to let you off the hook here. No. Nope. Oh, and by the way, title of the movie is, is Enemy. That's, that's what you are calling everybody else to. It's also you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a 10. Uh, I'm gonna join you. This is gonna be the easiest math ever. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a <laughs> pew pew pew. It is a, is a ten for me. Listen, wow. Uh, this this film is Didn't a deep that. well of profound thought provoking things. Um, I love having conversations with you. I I more often than not walk away with them with new and fresh things to think about. I'm absolutely gonna be lingering for a long time on that meditative question of what do you see when you see blank and uh you know jake gyllenhaal's final moment recon it reframes that final moment in a way that i dare say i'm almost kind of grateful for it and for the metaphor that now exists in my in my imagination in the landscape of my of my thinking uh so yeah it's it's a 10 for me it is a it is a challenging film to enter into and I think that's why I give it a 10 is because I, I think we could talk for another four hours about this minimum and come up with all kinds of new ideas that are directly related back to the texts. I mean, this feels like something you're never going to quite get to the bottom of. So I love that. So, yeah, that means that on the fog meter, we give enemy a perfect Unbelievable. 10. Yeah. Wow. Um, I really, uh, I, yeah, I'll own it. I yeah. didn't know that's where we'd get. I'd, yeah. I'd really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even try to it's, forecast it, so it's not like I was sure, thinking it sure. out, but oh my gosh. Yeah, but yeah, per- perfect 10 for enemy. Um, and uh, and the, the more challenging question, but we kind of forecasted a bit at the beginning. Would you recommend enemy to people? For the thoughtful movie viewer, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think... I think there's a world where a, a, a not very thoughtful person might watch it and just be like, uh, I don't get it. Boobies and spiders. What? You know, like, and I'm, I'm being a bit dismissive, but I just think there's a world where it, especially after this conversation, it's a little bit, uh, those with ears to hear kind of scenario. Like there's something there Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's there and it's, it's ready to be kind of mulled over, but you know, yeah, I do recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend it with a slightly different qualifier than what you gave, uh, but, but kind of in the same spirit. Um, I do recommend it. I don't, I still, 
don't think it's a very enjoyable film, but I think Fair. you could vastly enjoy the kinds of things it makes you think about and maybe conversing with others, the kind of things that it makes you talk about and the ways that that can kind of sit that that's very enjoyable. But I think it is difficult uh, to, to wholeheartedly encourage films that I don't think are terribly enjoyable to watch that having been said, I highly recommend this for that kind of, you know, it's going to provoke thought in you and it's going to be unforgettable in that sense. And maybe you walk away kind of, pissed off or confused or whatever, but I, I think it's going to be hard to shake the film, and I, I recommend that experience because I think we need more art like that in yeah. our lives. Well, and to be fair, so. like, and you didn't say this, but though I totally agree with you, uh, the enjoyment factor is a bit of a question mm-hmm. mark. I don't think it's a painful viewing. I don't think it's like, Mm-mm. it's Mm-mm. it's not grisly, grotesque, or off-putting. It's just more, and in fact, I don't even think it's purely uh navel gazing intellectualizing because of how well it's made like it isn't yeah of course just yeah. saying hey think about these things over coffee in the dorm room like it, it's like hey we've made some art that's really kind of probing and interrogating and investigating and mm-hmm. asking some interesting questions what do you think of it viewer yeah absolutely absolutely so uh man that's th- this has been a conversation that i've loved having Thank you again, Andrew, for suggesting this film. Uh, Nathan, thank you very, very much for having it with us. Uh, so we're going to keep on going with this series of uh, Fogga Wieners, which, uh, you know, we have these deep intellectual thoughts and then we have little uh, entendre <laughs> jokes like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so so the films that were recommended to us during this year's annual, uh, this year's uh, Fogga Ween, um, next week, we're going to be going to a film that was recommended to us uh, by listener, longtime, longtime listener, Abby Doosnap, who has made her, um, who's been name dropped on the show before. She recommended that we go to a classic 80s universal monster mashup called The Monster Squad, a film that uh, I, it lodges in my memory as a, a delightful piece of cinema. I'm very curious to hear the kind of conversation we're going to have about it. But next week, uh, visit The Monster Squad uh, from the 80s uh, as our uh, main content. And uh, listeners, thank you so much again for hanging with us every week. We really appreciate it. Nathan, thank you again. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>